That's the sound of hundreds of fish being poured down a tube and being deposited into a local recreational lake. Here, fishermen will delight in the prospect of large mountain trout being drawn to their fishing lures and bait. Fish stocking, or as it's sometimes called fish planting, takes place at many of our recreational lakes to increase the activity by fishermen and keep an even balance in the lake's ecosystem. Also delighted with this event are the wild American white pelicans that will soon be searching the water here looking for their next meal. In today's episode, we'll learn more about these amazing birds and their habits so that we can take better photographs of them. The American white pelican is one of the largest birds in North America. With its almost nine foot wingspan, amazingly, it's a magnificent flyer. Due to habitat loss, this bird's population dropped in the early part of the 20th century. But since the 1970s, there's been a substantial increase in the population due to this bird's ability to adapt. Learning as much as you can about a species is a great way to understand your subject before you go out and photograph them. such as with the American white pelican. With the knowledge of their migratory patterns and eating preferences, you can gain the knowledge of where to find these birds and better predict their behaviors, thus increasing the odds of getting better photographs. Here at Anthony Chabot Regional Park in Castro Valley, California, the American white pelican calls this place home for at least part of the year. The white pelican winters in warmer climates like California, Florida, and Mexico, and then migrates to the northern Great Plains and Canada to breed. They can often be seen soaring very high in the sky, casually coasting on thermals. When the pelicans are working to capture their next meal, they're usually seen flying about 10 to 15 feet above the water surface, looking for fish activity in the water below. The American white pelican can be found often working in pairs or in groups, collaborating together to capture their next meal. The technique they use is to work in teams to swim and drive the fish towards the shores where it's shallower water where the fish are much easier to catch. While the fishermen have carbon fiber fishing rods and state-of-the-art lures, the pelicans just have a long beak and an extensible pouch as their tools for capturing fish. Cruising quietly on the surface, they dip their heads underwater and can quickly scoop up an unsuspecting fish. Stocking alpine lakes usually happens by air. The workers pick up the fish at a local fish hatchery and then load up tanks that are hauled up into a helicopter. The helicopter flies low along predetermined mountain lakes with the tanks hanging below the helicopter. The pilot goes into a hover pattern 
and then by remote, the pilot can release a button and the fish are simply dropped into the lakes. As you can imagine, the fish are a bit stunned when they're dropped into a lake, but most survive. In local community lakes, the fish arrive in a truck that's driven to the edge of the lake and connected to a large tube that extends down into the lake. A few baffles are switched and the mountain trout go tumbling down the tube. At the end of that tube, the tube becomes a trough and the fish can be seen flipping and flopping out as they splash into the lake, which is now their new home. This delivery event also stuns the fish and they react by swimming slowly in the shallow waters. This is where the American white pelican takes advantage of the disoriented fish and arrive to their very own Thanksgiving table. A few days can pass after a fish stocking event and the mountain trout or bass can be still seen feeling the effects of the transport and from being flushed down the large black tube. The pelicans know this, and they're swimming in the shallow waters every morning, capturing the fish that don't yet have their act together. Photographing the American white pelican does present some challenges. This is a large bird. As we've noted earlier, they're mostly pure white. There is a small black edge on the underside of the wings that can only be seen when they're flying. Their long beaks are yellow and some pink can be found around the eyes. An all white or mostly white bird presents some challenges to the photographer. And as you can imagine, this revolves around exposure. In order to get white feathers to be exposed correctly, you must have enough exposure to give detail to the feathers, but not so much that the feathers burn to pure white. The best way to do this is to make sure your camera has highlight warnings turned on. This is also sometimes referred to as blinkies to some people. In order to turn this feature on in your camera, you may have to consult your owner's manual or the internet, but I can tell you how to set up for most Nikons, Canon, and Sony cameras. First up, Nikon. This is the brand that I use every day, so I know it pretty well and I can get to it easily. Turn on your camera and press the menu button. Along the left side of the menu are submenus at the top and one is a universal sideways triangle or a play icon. That's your playback menu. In this set of menus, you're gonna choose how you view your images on the back of your screen of your camera. Click on this menu and scroll down a few spots until you see display options menu. Once you click on this, you should see several options of things that either have a checkbox in them or an empty box next to a function. You'll see things like focus point, none or image only, RGB, histogram, highlights, etc. The one you want to check is the highlights box. To do that, you have to toggle to the right on the main multi-selector button. That's that flat multi-angled toggle pad on the back of the camera. Simply pressing the okay button on this won't work. You have to move the selector to the right and then you'll see the checkbox appear. These are toggle switches, so moving them right turns them on and checks the box, then moving it right again will uncheck the box. 
Once you're done selecting, now click OK and you have set your playback view to now include highlight warning view. To actually use this feature when looking at the images on the back of your camera, get an image on the back of your camera by taking a test shot and hitting the play button near the top left back of the camera. Move that same multi-selector dial up this time and you'll scroll through different views that you've selected. Most photographers will have a main screen where the image and some detail like date and time and file name show up. One more press up and it'll show you the image with no information and another toggle up will show you the highlight warning view. This is the view that will help you determine that you need to have the best exposure on a white feathered bird like the American White Pelican. Before we go into how to read this screen, let me tell you briefly how to set it up for the other cameras. If you shoot Canon, they call it Highlight Alert. In the menu, scroll across the top until you get to the play menus. Those will typically be in blue and they have that universal sideways triangle play icon there too. It's usually the second or third play icon. What you're looking for is Highlight Alert. You scroll down and hit the select button and enable Highlight Alert. Now you're good to go. On Sony cameras, it's a little different in that Sony uses the Zebra system. The Zebra system comes directly from the video shooting industry, so since the Sony cameras are mirrorless, it makes sense to work this way. In the menu, scroll until you find the Zebra settings and scroll down and turn Zebra display on. You also have the ability to fine tune your Zebras from 70% on up. For most still photography uses and for shooting white feathered birds, put your Zebra on 100%. Now when you see your image on the back, it will have Zebra lines blinking instead of just the highlights. Either way, the blinking signifies that you have highlights in your image that are overexposed, meaning that any part of the image that's blinking will not have any detail in those highlights. No detail in these parts will mean there's no texture in that part of the image and won't be as nice as if you took a second and changed your exposure by making the whole image a bit darker to eliminate those blinking highlights. The only time you want to have blinking highlights is when you're going to have a specular highlight that you know is not going to have detail, like a reflection of the sunlight in chrome or the sun itself, something along those lines. Other than that, you usually want to try to correct those highlights when you're taking photographs. So it's always good to have access to this so you can check it all the time on all of your pictures, not just for shooting wildlife and white birds. Having the correct exposure is very important for photographing white birds like the American white pelican. You want to get all of your feathers to be visible. Another thing that happens when you're shooting white birds is to get the proper exposure on the bird's feathers your image has to be darker, which means the background will likely be darker. As a professional photographer, there's one tool that I use just about every day. And no, it's not my camera. It's my computer. More specifically, Adobe Lightroom. I've been using Lightroom from the very beginning since it was introduced back in 2007. I've taught many photographers how to use Lightroom in my hands-on classes, as well as through online training. I feel this program is the best available for organizing my photographs so I can find a certain image among thousands that I've shot over the years. I especially like it for processing my raw photographic files. While many of my final images get some sort of treatment in Photoshop, 
all of my images are processed through Adobe Lightroom. All of them. My goal is to do as much image processing as I can in Lightroom first. This makes my workflow go so much faster. One of the things that makes my workflow faster are the preset brushes. I've created several myself that are built specifically for wildlife and nature photography. These brushes are easy to load, easy to use, and make developing your images faster and more creative. For listeners of this podcast, I'm offering a special collection of nature photography Lightroom preset brushes. You can use these to improve your wildlife photography and your landscape work. When you download my Lightroom brushes, you will get exclusive access to instructional videos to learn how each and every brush works and when to use them. Find out more by visiting my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. Click on the podcast page and you can order them right there. I'm over at Lake Chabot early this morning, photographing the American white pelican. This is just after a fish plant yesterday where a thousand pounds of mountain trout were deposited into the lake. I've been watching a couple of pelicans move around the marina. Oh, one just dipped his head. Oh, he caught a fish. He caught... Turn this way. Oh. oh, that's frustrating. You know, as a photographer, one of the things you're trying to look for is to capture those, those perfect moments and, and uh, an animal feeding and capturing his own food is, is one of those moments. This is one of those action moments that most wildlife photographers look for. It, getting the shot of the animal actually catching and eating a meal. I wasn't in the best position this time, but you know, I'll keep, I'll keep at it. What I have been shooting with some success are pelicans flying and landing. As we talked about early on, these are large birds, up to a nine-foot wingspan. Watching pelicans come in for a landing can be hilarious. They can sometimes look so awkward as they land their huge bodies on the water, kind of like a, a sputtering plane coming in for a landing. Kind of awkward and graceful all at the same time. The sunlight's just rising up in front of me and reflecting off the light of the overcast this morning. This is creating a backlight for the birds from the direction that I'm standing. So what I like to do when I'm photographing is to look for the best light. In this instance, I could be on either side of the narrow part of the marina and I chose to have backlighting my subjects today. Mostly because there was overcast light that I knew would bounce the light and fill in the shadows on the sides of the birds that's not getting direct light. I don't always go for backlighting, but today this looks pretty darn good. Here comes one now. Oh, how cool is that? He, he skidded on a lake a few feet. Like he kind of looked like he was water skiing. Uh, this backlighting is, is awesome because it's also highlighting the water droplets that get kicked up when I'm looking across the lake and it really comes off pretty well in these pictures. When I first got here, I checked my highlight warning and saw that I was seeing blinking highlights just on the head and shoulders of some of the birds. Since it's low light in the morning, I'm shooting at ISO 3200, and sometimes it gets up to 10,000. I'm doing this because I need a high enough shutter speed to stop the action of the birds in the flight. And when they land and splashing on the water, I want the water droplets to be sharp as well. 
So my shutter speed is set at 1 3200th of a second. As I usually do with most of my wildlife in action, I'm shooting wide open. So my 300 millimeters 2.8 and my 600 millimeter is f4. This wide aperture gives me the best shot at getting a softer, out of focus background. I find that if I make sure my focus is correct on the subject's eye, then whether the wing is out of focus or not is basically disregarded by most of the viewers of the image. So I like to try to get the images sharp on the eyes. Always keep the eyes sharp. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely into photography. Coincidentally, so am I. I'm Terry Vanderheiden, full-time professional photographer. Not only do I create photographs for a living, I do photography just for fun. In my spare time, I also teach photography classes and workshops. If you'd like to find out more about what I offer, check out my website at imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You can also find some videos I've created over on YouTube. Just search for Terry Vanderheiden or search for uh, how to use a monopod and you can find me that way. Feel free to email me if you have any questions on the topics I cover in this podcast or suggestions on how I can improve it. If you like this podcast, please give it a star rating and maybe even a quick review so others can find it easier. It would be great if you could share this podcast with other friends who might have an interest in photography. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks again for listening. When shooting birds in action, my primary concern is a fast enough shutter speed. I figure I can work with some noise reduction on the images in the computer later if I have to, but if I don't get the bird sharp to begin with, I'll have nothing to work with. Also, when I'm shooting like this, I always consider the background. I don't want anything to distract from my subject. Not the marina, not random patches of light. I even try to keep the other birds that are not part of my story out of the photographs whenever possible. So this might mean I gotta get a little bit lower, I need to get a little bit higher, I need to move around my setup so that I can get the angles where the background still looks good. Check out my website, imagelight.com, for some sample images of what I shot here today with the American White Pelican. These birds make fantastic subjects and they might just be waiting for you at your own nearby lake or waterway. Next time on the Nature Photography Podcast, we'll be photographing the wild coyote. First, we will learn about this amazing adaptable animal and work on some techniques on how to find them and photograph them. Thanks again for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast, sponsored by ImageLight.com.